Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Thursday, July 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Two HIV patients have joined a very small group of patients who seem to have beaten the virus. A 66-year-old man who received a transplant of stem cells with a genetic mutation that blocks HIV has no virus in his body. And a woman in her 70s that was treated with a retroviral drug and immune-boosting therapies is functionally cured. Researchers are hoping that these cases will provide clues to a possible cure in the future. Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know. Next, let's talk about all those pandemic impulse buys you may be regretting. It was a time when everyone had a lot of time in their hands and some extra money, so people bought Peloton bikes, roller skates, bread makers, even new homes or pets. But now that things have returned a little more to normal, those things have hit the back burner. Emily Stewart, senior correspondent at Vox, joins us for Pandemic Buyer's Remorse. Finally, high inflation costs have sent businesses searching for new sources of revenue and greener ways to deal with waste, and it's leading to some interesting new products. Think compost made from crabs, vodka distilled with dairy waste, and soap made from bacon grease. Harriet Torrey, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how customers are reacting to inflation's funky byproducts. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The 66-year-old man in the L.A., Los Angeles area had leukemia and received a stem cell transplant from a donor who had a mutation, a genetic mutation, which makes that donor resistant, naturally resistant to HIV. Joining us now is Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Betsy. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about some uh, interesting news in the uh, with these two HIV patients that appear to have beaten the virus. The uh, scientists and researchers always, and doctors working with uh, patients like this are always very hesitant to call them full cures, you know, because things can always happen, things can always, always relapse. But what we're looking at is a 66-year-old man in Southern California and a woman in her 70s who have joined this list of people who have beaten the virus. They both have different circumstances. So, Betsy, tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing with them. These are not the first people to either be potentially cured or what's called functionally cured. You know, HIV is not a threat to them anymore. They're not the first, but there are actually so few people who have achieved this that every new case is interesting. These two new cases are actually quite different. The 66-year-old man in the LA, Los Angeles area, had leukemia and received a stem cell transplant from a donor 
who had a mutation, a genetic mutation, which makes that donor resistant, naturally resistant to HIV. So this man received that stem cell transplant. Um, he received that three and a half years ago, and now he has been off of his HIV drugs since March 2021, so about 17 months. And that's um, a, no sign of HIV. That's actually one of the methods we've seen fairly recently when we got news of this, the stem cell transplants that has to be done you know, with people that have uh, leukemia or some other type of blood cancer. And these are risky procedures. So they're kind of limiting in the overall treatment of HIV. But this other case of this uh, woman in her 70s in Spain, that one might be a little more interesting and could lead to some clues for maybe how to treat it. She went through a, a series of antiviral drugs and also immune boosting drugs. And they think that something in her immune cells might have helped her on this one. She is not completely cured like this man may be. A stem cell transplant basically, you know, replaces your immune system and so gives you the possibility of totally clearing HIV out of your system. She has been off of HIV drugs for more than 15 years, hasn't had a, she still has HIV kind of in hidden cells in her body, but it, it hasn't come back. So that's what's called a functional cure. It's still there but it's not doing anything to you. And so that's interesting to researchers because it's not a costly or risky procedure. I mean, stem cell transplant costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and there's a real, you know, a risk to it that it might not work. There's a mortality risk. So it's really only appropriate for people with blood cancers. The partial functional cure that the woman has is something that scientists want to study and see if it leads to a treatment that could be more widely used. Right. Yeah. There's. Uh, I guess they've said that you know a lot of the drugs that they use don't really attack a lot of this part of this latency process where HIV becomes latent in these immune cells and everything. And this is part of what they want to look into. They're also saying that some of these new gene editing methods that are emerging could one day be able to help with some of this stuff too. Maybe you can uh, get these genes that are immune to HIV and give that to a person. That's still a little very far off, but this is kind of where the field is looking for, for some improvements. Right. There are companies actively looking at that. I mean, each of this small number of patients who have been potentially cured, or they, they call it remission, like with cancer, it's in right. remission because, you know, HIV kind of surprises everybody. It's a very difficult virus. But each of these is a case for scientists to study and try to extrapolate and develop potential cures from using the same mechanisms. So there are companies that are working on and researchers working on gene therapies that would imitate basically this process that right now is, is costly and risky. So, it, you know, it's still years ahead. There was another piece of research released today, which identified how HIV hides in the body. And that's really important because it will help researchers move forward in figuring out ways to flush the virus out of its hiding spots in your body and get it out of your system. So that's a major advance too. The field of HIV cure science is really moving ahead at a good pace. Well, good news for now on uh, these two cases, and hopefully it does inform, you know, new treatments, anything that we can do to get this under control would be great. Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. You know. 
know, maybe got, I talked to one guy who got a bike and was like, I decided I was going to be a bike person. And it turns out a pandemic does not develop you a new personality. If you don't like biking, maybe you're just never going to get into it. Joining us now is Emily Stewart, senior correspondent at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about all that stuff that we bought throughout the pandemic. A lot of people were buying uh, these big impulse buys. You know, we had a lot of time on our hands. We had a lot of money on our hands at that time, too. That's partly what happened with the supply chain crisis is we were buying too many things and then we couldn't get all that stuff. But right now what we're seeing is a lot of people having a little bit of buyer's remorse for some of the products and, and, and things that they bought. It depends on what it is. It could be as anything from, uh, you know, buying a bicycle, these Peloton bikes people are trying to resell now on secondary marketplaces or bigger things, you know, things that carry a little more weight like a new home or a pet. We saw a lot of people buying pets throughout this time. So, Emily, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing out there with people kind of uh, hating some of the purchases they made during the pandemic. Right. So, you know, we're about two and a half years into this. And I think what happened with a lot of people, we all remember 2020 allowed 2021, you're sitting at home, you're feeling a little bit, a little bit crazed, a little bit stir crazy, and maybe buying things that you might not normally. People tend to buy when they feel a little bit uncertain, when they feel a little bit anxious. It gives us a little bit more of a sense of control. So people bought a lot of stuff. People also thought uh, their circumstances were going to stay the same. Maybe they bought a house because they thought they were never going back to the office, or they adopted a pet thinking, well, I'm at home all of the time. And now, you know, life has gone a little bit more back to normal for a lot of people. They're sitting around looking at this stuff and thinking, man, I didn't want this. And I've heard from people who, you know, maybe got, I talked to one guy who got a bike and was like, I decided I was going to be a bike person. And it turns out a pandemic does not develop you a new personality. If you don't like biking, maybe you're just never going to get into it. Um, I heard from a lot of people who bought, you know, appliances. I talked to somebody who bought a countertop dishwasher that said, you know, now my trash can sits on top of it. Yeah. And a lot of these things, uh, you know, as you mentioned in the article, when you look at these secondary marketplaces, you see a lot of this stuff on sale now, uh, looking at bikes and Peloton specifically, even Google searches, hey, you know, how to sell my Peloton bike, those Google searches have gone up. So those are big purchases, but something you can do away with pretty easily. As you said, your personality doesn't change throughout the pandemic. You don't automatically become a bike person. But some of these bigger ones are, are a lot more interesting. Uh, uh, new pets. I always uh, love stories about animals and things. So that caught my eye here. And you spoke to a couple who were retired now. They bought the pet during the pandemic. And now they're finding out that they've kind of lost out on all the spontaneity of being retired. They can't do anything anymore because they need to make sure someone's always taking care of their pet. Right. I mean, I like again, these people, the wife specifically was very generous in talking to me because a lot of people don't want to admit, right, that they don't like their pet. Sure. And people can get a little bit mean about people <laughs> not liking their pets. And to be clear, they are very, they love it. They're not getting rid of it. But, you know, she said they got the pet in, in spring of 2021. Um, and now they want to travel. They wanted to do a road trip always. Well, the, car, the dog doesn't like cars. Um, and they did kind of really change the outside of their lives. You know, it's kind of it's very, it's a little bit funny, you know, like a, kind of a silly situation. But I was talking to, to the woman and the thing that she said to me was, your dogs live for a long time. And I really kind of changed the trajectory of my retirement because we can't do the things that we wanted to do. And and I think a lot of people are in that position. You know, it's not just with pets. It's also, again, with homes. Plenty, plenty of people bought houses. And you see polls and stuff that say, like, a lot of people do now have regrets about their buys and maybe it doesn't mean that they didn't want the house or that they don't want the house but it might have been 
people were outbidding each other, they were paying a lot of money and maybe they moved a little bit farther than they wanted or had it not been the pandemic they might not have moved so quickly. Totally. And then on some of these other things, you know, maybe not such at these big purchases, but in a lot of the people that you spoke to, really the kind of attitude of it all is to shrug it all off. It's kind of this, oh, well, you know, I bought that thing when I did. Now I have it and I don't use it. And, you know, what are you going to do now? And that's, I mean, obviously that's the case, really. What are you going to do if you can't sell it and get rid of it and recoup some of those losses? You know, you are stuck with it. As you mentioned, that uh, person's uh, countertop dishwashers now uh, sits on their trash can and all. Right. I mean, I bought one of the, I bought kind of a knockoff Roomba. And if I'm being honest here, I've used it <laughs> six times. And it sits in my, I'm staring at it right now. And like, I could get rid of it. I probably should have returned it. But instead, it's just like a fun little reminder of a silly thing that I did in a weird moment in right. my life. And through all of this, though, even the, some of the people that you spoke to, psychologists and all, they say buying stuff does make you feel happy. I know we know a lot uh, when you go on that shopping trip and you get all that cool new stuff, you know, you do feel good after that or buying things for other people. So, you know, there was always something that was going to kind of happen during a moment like that, such as the pandemic. Right. Like I said before, it does make people feel like they have a little bit more control. People get kind of a dopamine hit from it. Obviously, there's a difference between kind of doing something that makes you feel a little bit better versus something that's like, you know, you're a compulsive buyer. But I think sometimes we think about this stuff and I tend to be a person who gets upset about my own consumerism and thinks, oh, I shouldn't buy this stuff. But at the same time, like it's been a rough two and a half years and people need to be a little bit forgiving of themselves and others. And if you bought some roller skates that you maybe had a nice time with even for a few hours and you're not dying because the money's gone, like whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're not alone. There's uh, plenty of other people out there that had made uh, questionable <laughs> purchases throughout the <laughs> pandemic. Emily Stewart, senior correspondent at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. 
So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. The, the fat in bacon. And so he dug out this recipe. He um, boiled, boiled some lard and sort of cleaned it and purified it and mixed it with lye and lavender oil and um, came, up, came up with a soap that he started selling in his diner. Joining us now is Harriet Torrey, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Harriet. Hi. Well, let's talk about what's going on with inflation right now. You know, there's a lot of businesses that are searching for new sources of revenue, different ways to deal with waste that they deal with in their businesses. And some business owners are coming up with some weird little products that you might not expect. One of the main products you focus on in your story is Bumble Soap. So this is soap that's made with bacon. And, uh, you know, the reaction is ranging uh, far and wide. You know, some people are into it. Some people think it's a little icky. But, you know, this is what businesses are having to resort to as they're seeing their costs go up. They're looking for ways, any other ways to offset things and make a little bit more cash. So, Harriet, tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing out there. Yeah, so we're seeing businesses, especially small businesses, really struggling with um, with inflation at this point in time. You know, the, the price of raw materials has gone up a lot um, for, for many things, you know, not just for food and products like that, but also for wages. So, you know, business owners are really looking at inflation across the board and they can only raise prices so much before, you know, they start to lose out on sales. So it's interesting. Some people have really become very creative in this environment. And um, I spoke to this, the owner of a diner in Ocean City um, called Sunrise Diner. And he was, you know, he's he's scrambling to, to try and offset all these new costs. And he remembered that his great grandmother in the Depression had a, had a recipe to make soap out of lard, you know, the the you know the 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 fat in bacon and so he dug out this recipe he um, boiled boiled some lard and sort of cleaned it and purified it and mixed it with lye and lavender oil and came up with a soap that he started selling in his diner and uh, it's it's a really interesting product you know it's a, it's a handmade organic um, soap but of course it has it is very quirky in the sense that it is made out of bacon and that for a lot <laughs> right. of people is very strange however when the fat boils down it's more or less odorless so um. Uh, you know, some people have been giving it a try. That's exactly right. And so it's not, you know, a novelty bacon flavored, bacon smelling soap that you, I've seen those before. You know, that's not really it. He puts it through the process to get that lard that he needs. And, you know, from there, he mixes it with everything else, as you mentioned. But just knowing that it's coming from bacon is a little weird for some people. But when you're talking about his specific situation, he would buy cases of bacon last year for $45 for that case. The price has jumped up to $90. So, I mean, he's got to make up that bit any way he can. He sells these bars of soap for $5.99. And the way he averages it, I love it. You know, he says, if I sell 17 bars of soap, that's an extra case of bacon I can get. And uh, I think this is a calculation that a lot of a lot of business owners are, um, are making at the moment. And they're really people are really scrutinizing the waste, you know, the things that they throw away or that they have to pay money to dispose of and saying to themselves, well, is there is, is there a way that I can put this to better use? And of course, it's not just about saving money. It's also, you know, in this day and age, people are, you know, are interested in you know, environmentally friendly business practices and upcycling and, you know, using the coming full circle with a product. So um, it's it's interesting. You know, I also spoke to a crab stop, you know, a crab restaurant in Maryland where they, you know, every every time they get a bushel, bushel of crab, some of them arrive dead and they can't serve them as food. So um, they send them off to 
be composted at, by a, a local company and um, they turned into this high-end crab compost and they are now selling that compost back at the restaurant. And, you know, I think people people really liked that concept. You know, they like to see that their waste is sort of being renewed and, and that it's not just being thrown away, but that people can do new and innovative things with it. Um, it's, a, it's a similar situation with... Um, a type of vodka, you know, yeah, it's similar I, I, to the I, to the bacon fat um, that is essentially, you know, boiled down to lard. Um, the sugar in milk is lactose, and that can be distilled down um, to, um, you know, to make alcohol in the same way that grains and potato is used to make make vodka. Um, once it's fermented, you can also um, using some fancy science, do the same thing with lactose. I don't think it's a particularly easy thing to do, but scientists have figured it out. And there are some dairy farmers saying, you know, we've got all of this way that would normally have to be thrown away or put through a nutrient management system to be disposed of. That costs us money. So why don't we try and make it into alcohol? And that's a, that's a whole new product line. I love those. And the names are funky with it too. So one of the companies, there's a couple companies that are working on it. One of them calls it Calcohol. The other one calls it Vodka. But, uh, you know, at least one of the companies, they're already up and running. They got a distillery ready to open up this summer. They say they can produce 50 bottles a week. They're going to sell them at about $40. I mean, that's an extra $20,000 that they can get right there once they start selling these things. So again, you know, that ingenuity and kind of looking out to see what else you can make with these things, with the waste products that they have, you know, just something that can really benefit them. And uh, as you mentioned, a lot of people really like that story of the upcycling, using the waste, using everything you can. It makes them look good. But people are a little wary of what it tastes like. There was a little bit of mixed reaction with it. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with the bacon soap, you know, some people are like, oh, this is a great idea. You know, I was I was at the diner. Uh, I was talking to customers. Some people thought it was cool or curious or interesting, but others are just like, no, you know, when it comes <laughs> to my skincare, I'm set in my ways or, you know, they just were like, I no, you know, just they were a hard no on the idea of bacon soap. And sure. um, I think with the with the milk vodka as well, you know, it's, it's kind of a curiosity. I think people are sort of interested. It comes, you know, it comes in these sort of old fashioned Italian looking milk bottles. You know, you see it at the store and you're like, oh, hey what's this this is something a bit different and you know and so people are curious to try it um so yeah it's 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 definitely an interesting time i think because people you know it's these two um trends that are coming together this whole idea of you know sustainability and upcycling um coming together with uh, an environment of extremely high costs um that requires you know some ingenuity to um try and navigate Harriet Torrey, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 